Hello, everyone. My name is Devin, and this is my mom, Kathy. And our scripture reading today is from Romans 5, 12 through 21. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone whose account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed by one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through the, that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As you walked in today, I'm sure you noticed we have the elements here in front of us, and you'll know that today... We're simply going to be doing as a church family what Jesus commanded us to do when we gather together. We're going to be remembering the Lord's death until he comes back again. Uh, the church has always called this communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. I am convinced that what we're going to do is one of the most important parts of the life of the church for so many reasons. Um, but one of them is that as you listen to Devin and Kathy reading that very difficult passage, when we receive communion today, it is going to force us to ask the central question that the Bible is addressing in that passage. And I put that question up here for you, and it will help you to make sense out of what the Word is saying here. And the question is this, how is it possible that one man's death particularly a brutal death on a cross, how is it possible that one man's death can bring such blessings to so many people? Now, for those of you who are just uh, visiting with us today, we here at Lake Avenue Church are uh, at the beginning part of a series that I'm calling Made New, that God promises to make everything new in your life and in this world when you follow Jesus. And it all started in Romans chapter 5 uh, with uh, the blessings that come from following Jesus being ours. Um, what kinds of blessings? Well, we had three or four sermons about it, so I won't go all through, through them all, but I'll just list some of the words that are here. Uh, number one, the death of Jesus makes possible justification, which simply means 
that God is ready to declare that you are right with him. It's an amazing thing. He's not going to hold our sins against us. We ask this question, how on earth can I, who am wrong about so many things in my life, be declared right by a holy God, and it's on the basis of his death? What else? Uh, The word shalom. When we're right with God, verse 1, it comes back again in verse 11, is that we have peace with God. A beautiful Hebrew word, shalom. Things being right, all the anxieties gone, all the brokenness gone. Justification, shalom. And then in the message that Pastor Tim did a few weeks ago, we have a certain hope as a blessing. Because sometimes we wonder, God, if you're going to do this work to make me new, will it ever actually happen? I don't seem to be getting better. And the promise is, God says, what I've started in you, I will bring it to completion. I'm going to complete my my salvation in you. And then in the powerful message Pastor Jeff down here in the front row did a few weeks ago, that there is purpose to all that happens in your life. Because so many times in this world, doesn't it seem like things happen that are just senseless? Just random. And God says, I am in control. I know what I'm doing. And that even suffering, he says, I will use to bring about good things. I work all things together for the good of those that I love. So those are those blessings. And then we say, how do those blessings actually come to people? And then in verse 6, he tells us this. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who who are these ungodly people? Don't you hate to admit it? It's true. And if you miss it, listen how he puts it in verse 8. God demonstrated his own love for us in this way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, man. When Lil says, thank you, Lord. When I read that, I'll tell you, this is really at the very center of everything that brings us together today, isn't it? I I think most of us who've come to church today, this is what you and I believe from the depths of our being, that God loves us this much that he sent his one and only son who gave his life for us as the choir sang, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and through him we can have those blessings. And actually... Our response to it is found in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 5. How do we have this peace with God? We have peace with God. It comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So so this is that beautiful, life-changing message that this church is all about. I mean, that we wouldn't even be here if it were it not for this message. Uh, and so we're going to come back to that today. But it does bring up that question, and Paul's readers who wrote this, when he would say it to them or write it to them, always ask that same question. I think we still ask it sometimes today. How is that possible? How can one man's death actually bring these kinds of blessings to so many people throughout so many centuries? And, and to, to answer that, the Apostle Paul draws upon what I spoke to you about at length last week. That when God created the world in Genesis 1, he created the world in such a way that everything is interdependent. Uh, It's all a part of his creation. And particularly, human lives, our lives are interdependent in this way. That one life always affects those around it. Our lives all affect one another. 
Uh, again, so many times we sort of get this idea, I, I'm not harming anybody, it doesn't do anything, doesn't affect, that's not true. What you and I do actually affects everyone around us uh, to a greater or lesser extent. Sometimes for evil, Adam, sometimes for good, Jesus. And so what Paul actually says was when people ask this question, how is it that one man's death can bring so many blessings? He says, well, it's like this. He starts in, in chapter 5, verse 12. It's like this, he said. It's just like you all know that through one man's sin, sin and death entered into this world. It's just like that. <laughs> that confused them too, and maybe you are too, but hopefully we'll get it as clear as possible. The thing that I see in this is, even though all of our lives affect one another, there is a particular impact that the one who does something for the first time has upon everyone else. The one who started this church, the young African-American woman, still continues to have an impact on us, doesn't it? The one who starts the business. And in this, what, what Paul is going to say is, the very first human being, Adam, who introduced sin into this otherwise before perfect world, continues to have an impact upon this world, just as the one who came and was the first one who lived life the way it's supposed to be, as God created life to be lived, Jesus, his life can have an impact upon every one of us. Are you with me here? Maybe not. So, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. If that's really true, that those who are the first ones to do something often have a greater impact, I started thinking about what does that look like? And I, I was reminded of this wonderful movie, at least I think it's a wonderful movie, Oscar nominated last year, that Chris and I saw called Hidden Figures. I don't know if you've seen it, I highly recommend it to you. It's about three African-American women who were the first to break the color and gender barrier at what was then called the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, NACA, and I'm glad is now called the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. So for all of you JPL NASA people, that movie is something you should for sure see. Uh, Mary Jackson was one of those African-American women. She became the first African-American woman to become an engineer at NASA. But for that to happen in her life, she needed to have the, the regulations would have barred her from getting it because she had to have graduate education in engineering in order to become an engineer. And yet in the schools where she could get that, they were only men and only white people were able to go. So uh, how, how is this going to happen? And so in this movie, she goes before a judge and powerfully makes this point that I'm trying to make to you of the significance of being first. I'll just show it to you, then I'll come back. Hampton High School is a white school, Mrs. Jackson. Yes, Your Honor, I'm aware of that. Virginia, still a segregated state. Your Honor, you of all people should understand the importance of being first. How's that, Mrs. Jackson? Well, you were the first in your family to serve in the armed forces, U.S. Navy, the first to attend university. What's the point? I plan on being an engineer at NASA, but I can't do that without taking them classes at that all-white high school. And I can't change the color of my skin. So I have no choice but to be the first, which I can't do without you, sir. Your Honor, out of all the cases you're gonna hear today, which one is going to matter 100 years from now? Which one is going to make you the first? 
they applauded in the first service. I, I know... <laughs> I know you want to watch the rest of that movie, but I'm not going to, to show it to you. I'll tell you, growing up so close to that area in Hampton, Virginia, growing up in that time period, I know what it cost a judge like that to make a decision like that one. But you see what happens. That sort of decision opens the door for a woman like Mary Jackson to become an aeronautical engineer. And I'll tell you, acts like that, where you're willing to step in and do something that is right, can continue to have a huge impact. Now, if you take that truth and you multiply it a million times, then you can begin to understand what Paul is getting at in this passage, that when Jesus, who is fully God but also fully human, came into this world and was the first one actually to live the way we are supposed to live because none of us has and then was willing to die in our place so that we could have forgiveness and new life and then defeated sin and death by our resurrection and promises forgiveness, eternal life to all who follow him, then you understand something about the gospel. That the death of this one man started it all. So it brings up another big question. Whose family are you in? Adam's family or Jesus' family? Look at, look at verse 15. So if the many died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So I think the way that you understand this passage that Devin and Kathy read for us today is to see that Paul is picturing every human being being in either one family or another. There are two families. You are either in the Adams family. <laughs> you knew I was going through that. I know, you know that. Are, are you in Adam's family or are you in Jesus' family? Now, to understand this even more, we even know in our nuclear families, our biological families, uh, that whether... It's been a good situation or not, you and I are very much affected by two people. Our, our very being, our identity, so much about us are affected by these two people we call parents, right? Then you pull it back, and those two people are affected by two other people. So now we have four that we call grandparents. And Paul is saying, let's pull this all the way back to this very first parentage that we have. What happened is, when they turned away from God, put themselves into the place of God that introduced sin into this world, into our very race, it has been passed on and with it, death. So that, that's your bloodline. <laughs> you and I are born into Adam's family. And now I can imagine when you say that, wait a minute, pastor, if that's true, I have no hope. Just sin and death? I don't want to be in that family. But do you think that? Uh, but how do we escape it? So here's what the Bible says. Yes, that point about the hopelessness of being in that family, um, that's the bad news. You might as well own it. It's, it's the bad news. And you need to know it's real news. It's not fake news. <laughs> this is real news. And it is good news that now a whole new life, a family, is available to you. I, I declare to you today, I don't know if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, a whole new family, a place of belonging, it has become available to you. So it, it's true that you and I don't have a choice. 
about being born into this Adam family, but you and I do have a decision to make about whether you'll stay there. Now, all who turn from and acknowledge those, those sins and parts of our past and, and give them to him and follow Jesus by faith are adopted. That's the word that Paul uses in Ephesians. God adopts us into his family. And I'll tell you the difference. I'll just tell you the difference between living in Adam's family and in Jesus' family, it is enormous. Look at verse 19. Just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made right, will be made righteous. So, all of us who trust in Jesus are made a part of what we here at Lake Avenue call God's unexpected family. Do you remember my very, anybody here 10 years ago when I started with that Ephesians series, uh, just trying to get us to have a picture for what the family of God looks like when we enter into it. It it is a family that, I call it the unexpected family, not because it was unexpected to God. Ephesians 1, that was his eternal plan. That's what he was always going to do. But it's unexpected to our world. They look at us who come from such different places and and calling one another brother and sister, and they say, how did that happen? And, And in Paul's day, not everybody that would have access to the family by faith did they want to be in their families. Uh, the Jew and the Gentile was the problem in his day. The book of Ephesians, the Jew didn't want to be in the church with the Gentile, and I can tell you the Gentile didn't want to be in the church with the Jew. And, and Paul said, get over it. The family you're in now, you're, you're dead to God. There, there's no hope for you. The only hope is if you fall upon the mercy and grace of God and receive Jesus. And when you do... You're in his family, and there is one father over this entire family. It is not knit together by bloodlines. It is knit together by faith lines uh, with Jesus as the head. And you know the beautiful message. When he's done with this thing, Romans 5, uh, 9 and 10, uh, Revelation 5, 9 and 10, Revelation 7, I think 8 through 10, there are going to be people in the family of God who come from every people group, every language group, every nationality, one in Christ, our new family head. That's what we have to be here. So no matter how much our world is ripped apart by political differences or whatever, it is the call upon us to be one under the lordship of Christ. Can I, have, yeah, I need an amen about that because that, that is our calling to declare the glory of God in a broken, broken world. And in this new family, the beautiful thing is that the sin and death that Adam brought in no longer have to reign in your life. Now, I know you're still going to be tempted by sin and sometimes fail. I don't want you to be surprised. But let me tell you, in that situation, God has promised that what he started, he will complete. He will begin a work in you in which you'll begin to find some new victory over those temptations. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is what theologians call, we'll have the freedom from the very uh, presence and the power of sin. Don't you long for it? And I know in this world that death still comes to us physically. But as we get to Easter, you're going to see that what's happened in Christ is that the sting of death has been taken away.
And do you know why? Because the new head of our family, Jesus, experienced death and defeated sin and death by his resurrection and promised that all who are in him will have our own resurrection to eternal life. I'll tell you, this is the good news that we have come to celebrate here today. Now, having said that, there's another phrase I don't want you to miss in this text. It's this phrase, how much more? Did you notice it? As Devin, Kathy were reading, it's in verse 15, it's in verse 17, it's verse 20. When you give your life to Jesus, the blessings that he brings are so much more than all that is lost whenever you're born into this very difficult family of Adam. And, and some of the things I've thought about are these. Um, many people think that when you receive Jesus and, and he remakes us, he'll kind of remake us to be just like Adam and Eve were before there was sin in this world in Genesis chapter 2. But I tell you, he's going to do more than that. And you and I need more than that. Because I'll tell you, uh, if you read Genesis 2 and then end of chapter 3, Adam and Eve were still susceptible to selfishness and sin. They so much wanted to be in the place of God. And I'll just tell you, if God just sort of remade us to get us back to where they were, what's going to happen is the moment you and I are tempted to put ourselves in the place of God, well, at least on my part, and I'm guessing all of our parts, we give up heaven in a moment. We need much, much more than that, and that's what God says he's going to do. He's going to remake us so that when he's done with us, well, the, the phrase that he uses when we get to the end of this series, you and I are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So that he was in this world where temptations were, but he lived without sin. That is our destiny. How much more he will do. He'll set you free. A reign of life. And the other thing to see is that he repeatedly says, this is all a work of the grace of God says it over and over in Romans 5, but look at verse 15 again in case you missed it. If the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace, see it there? And the gift that came by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. It's by grace. What is grace? Is that... I can imagine you answering, isn't that the name of our organist? Uh, and it is. I often wonder how Grace feels. She is pretty amazing. And today, as we sing about marvelous Grace, and, and I'm sure the name that she was given was because Grace is such a beautiful thing. But let me just tell you what it is, and I'll try to explain it. Grace is a gift that God offers to you that you don't earn Grace is something that you don't achieve, but that you receive. Grace is the basis of all those beautiful blessings that I talked about. God turning to you and saying, you're right with me, in spite of whatever is in your past. I love you, and I'll go again with you. God saying to you, we are at peace with one another. I'll send you out in peace to this world with a peace that goes beyond understanding. God saying to you that I'm not going to ever give up on to you until until I'm done. So he says this. He sort of makes this verdict about you and me. He says, I've already said yes to you. When you receive me, I already declare you're right with me. You know, nothing else in this world works that way, right? Have you ever noticed that? I've been in the educational world. 
those of you who are teachers, does it work that way? Do you have students who come in and say, okay, I'll give you an A in the class. Now I'll work with you until you... Any of you do that? Any of you have been in the military? Do you go into military? You, you, you sort of enlist in the military. We're going to make you a general and give you a purple heart. And now you sort of work. It doesn't work. In the, in the, in the final four, it, do you just show up the basketball uh, tournament and they say, okay, here's already the trophy. No, no, it never works that way. You always have to earn that, that, that reward, the, the grade. Uh, you have to pass the test. You've got to win the game. You've got to pay the debt before the verdict, before the reward comes. But with the grace of God, his verdict and reward come first. God declares you forgiven and right with him on the basis of what Jesus did in your place. When you grasp this, then you'll say, I, I see why people find this hard to understand. There's nothing else in the world that is as great as this. How does that work, Pastor? Well, the rest of Romans 6-8 through 8 is going to talk about that. You have to keep coming back. But I'll give you a little foretaste of it. If I have spoken clearly to you today and you realize that God loves you so much that he'll declare you right with him and then never give up on you until he's finished with you, then what happens in our hearts, if it's real, if your faith is real, is a gratitude. It says, I can't believe it. And when you're deeply grateful, you want to please that person that you're grateful to. The main motivation for you and me actually becoming what God would have us to be is that we're so grateful for what we're going to remember today, the cross of Christ in our place. When that happens, it, God gives a spirit to you when you believe in Jesus and that gratitude is mixed, this is what I feel, with the power of the Holy Spirit within and when that functions within a community where this family life has to be lived out, we're here through the power of the Spirit and the prayer of God's people with one another, we begin to become more and more of what God would have us to be. And nothing separates us from the love of God that comes through Jesus Christ. So listen to me carefully now. You dare never reverse the order of this. All you perfectionists, are you listening to me here? <laughs> Listen now. You must never think that God accepts you on the basis of how you perform. Jesus performed in your place through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and all of those blessings that I talked about are based upon what he has done in your place. You receive them by faith and are given this promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you until I'm done. Hallelujah. All right, this is a great part of God's word. Anybody agree with me here? As hard as it is, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. So, so how do we respond to it? I'll just give you three words, all starting with R. I want you to receive Jesus. I want you to represent Jesus. And I want you to remember Jesus. I want you to receive Jesus. I cannot preach from a passage like this without asking you today, which family are you in? Are you in the Adam family or are you in the Jesus family? Have you given your life to him? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you following Jesus? I don't want you to leave here until you're sure about that today. 
And I'll just give you the words using very similar kind of imagery the Apostle John said in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. To all who receive him, that's Jesus. And then he defines it. By that I mean to those who believe in his name. He gives the right to become children of God, a new family. I'm not talking about, he said, children born of natural descent. I'm not talking about people born of a human decision or even a husband's will. But born of God. I want you to make sure of that today. Receive Jesus. Then, when that happens, you go out and represent Jesus. He, he gives us the opportunity of going out and actually having our actions represent him and make a difference for his kingdom in this world. Because we are interconnected, right? What we say, what we do makes a difference in the world that God puts us in. And, and Jesus said it so clearly in the Gospel of John chapter 20. Here's how you are sent. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And so when you read about that, a part of that is he sends us to be his witnesses. When you read Romans chapter 5, you and I know what we have to offer the world, right? We know that the world is in a hard place. People who are in Adam's family, they might want to live well, but they are trapped with the same bondages that all of us have experienced. But they have no hope. And the hope comes in Jesus. That's why it comes in you and I know it. So we have this privilege of simply being witnesses, saying, I have a new hope. If there's hope for me, there's hope for you, and it comes through Jesus. Can I tell you about him? Um, it's not just using our words, but that's where it starts. They need to know about Jesus or they'll never find the hope that comes in Jesus. But, the, but Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. How did the Father send Jesus? You know, he, he sent him right into this world, didn't he? He came into this place facing, as the Bible says, every temptation that you and I have. He took on human flesh and entered into this world and into the lives and the difficulties of people. What kinds of people? Read about all of us. Lepers, uh, drug addicts, uh, prostitution, uh, demonization. He entered right in. <laughs> And he says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to find a way to forgive you and to change you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, what does that look like? Well, we have to have the heart that God has uh, for people and to really love instead of just writing them off. We have to have the eyes to see what a person can become in Christ. We have to have the courage to be willing to enter in to another's personal life. And because of this interconnectedness, when we actually engage in doing that, believe it or not, your life can make an incredible difference beyond anything you can ever imagine. How might you do it? I'm sure you can think of many, many ways, but I, I've just been thinking, this sounds so hard, but even a little child can do it. And those of you who follow me on, on social media, you know that my little granddaughter has been doing this. I'll just tell you her story so you can get an idea about how you might represent Jesus. My little granddaughter, Riley, who was eight uh, last year, uh, met a little girl in her circle of friends named Sophie, who then was diagnosed with a malignant uh, brain tumor. Uh, as this little eight-year-old girl was going through that, she had to go through all the chemo and lost all of her hair. So she had that embarrassment of that as well as the, the fear 
uh, of, of having cancer uh, penetrating through her body. Well, my, my little granddaughter, Heather, already has such a heart for God, already such a heart for people. We need to learn from our children, don't we? So this year, when an opportunity came in her school to actually identify with and kind of engage in solidarity with some of the children who were hurting because of cancer, she chose to do so. So I'm going to show you some of the pictures. First, I'm proud of my granddaughter. So first, I'll show you Riley. I think she's beautiful. There she is still having all of her hair. Uh, many of the other, uh, some of the other boys did what she did. Most of the girls, to empathize, just had their hair cut. But I want to show you what she did. Here she is as she goes into it. And she chose. She really wanted to identify with Sophie. So in the next one, this is the choice that she made. And then after it was over, this is the joy that she had. Uh, I called her up right after she had done it. I said, have you looked in the mirror? I said, she said, oh, I did. How, how did, what did you see? It's amazing, Dad. It's amazing. Uh, what compelled her was the love of Christ and the love of her friend, Sophie. You and I have experienced the love of Christ. What does that love compel you to do? When we receive communion today, will you pray about that? May a little child teach us. So the response to this word is to um, receive Jesus. It is to represent Jesus. And I'm going to ask Pastor Annie to come. Annie, will you come and talk to us about the importance and beauty of remembering the Jesus who did this for us?